0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من the الله فلا the Lord of the Lord of the Lord of the Lord of the Lord صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallaita ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka Hamidum Majid Allahumma barik ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka Hamidum Majid Respecting listeners assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi barakatuh We gather once again for the monthly spiritual gathering Surprisingly, to some at least, spirituality in Islam has always contained the concept of love, the love of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why many ulama have emphasized that those who reduce their religion to a simple set of rules, do's and don'ts and ritual worship and formality, they remain deprived of a deeper spiritual meaning and that special connection and relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which translates into true love for Allah. And this is why acts of worship, the very concept of halal and haram in Islam should induce a sense of humility. Of softness, of grace and compassion, and of a loving and a lovable character. A true believer is one who loves Allah, loves others for the sake of Allah, loves what Allah loves, dislikes what Allah dislikes. And because of the beauty of their character, they are lovable to those who themselves are pure of heart and character Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran innal ladheena amanu wa 'amilus salihat sayaj'alu لَهُمُ rahmana وُدَّهُ that indeed those who have believed and who do good deeds Allah will create Allah doesn't say Allah Allah says rahman the Gracious One will create for them wudda, wood. And what's wud? Love. So those who inna the amanu indeed those who believe and who do good deeds, Allah will create for them wood. And wud means love. And that's why uh, many ulama relate the hadith that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves someone, Allah instructs Jibreel alayhi salam, Allah informs, summons Jibreel alayhi and informs him that I love such a person, you love him. And then Jibreel alayhi announces that in the heavens, that Allah loves this individual, therefore others should love him. And then this message trickles down, even to the people of earth. That Allah loves such and such a person so you love him too. Now a common question is that why is it then that the people of faith, the people of good deeds, the people of piety, the people of truly noble character are not always necessarily universally loved? In fact even the Prophet وسلم, is not universally loved. The Sahaba رضي الله عنهم, are not universally left. So, how do we understand this hadith then? That Allah says indeed, those who believe and who do good deeds, Allah will create love for them, in that they have such a lovable character, such purity, that others will love them, just as Allah loves them, the angels love them. The simple answer to this very common question is, That to love a pure and pious person, to love a pure and pious character, one's own character must reflect that purity and piety. Just like a healthy food is enjoyed by healthy people, when a person is ill, even honey may taste bitter and doctors and physicians normally always put this down to the corruption of the palate corruption of the taste and that because the system is corrupt corrupted the system is upset it's not functioning normally or healthily when the body doesn't function healthily the palate will be corrupt if the palate's corrupt sweet will taste bitter bitter will taste sweet sweet will taste sour, sour will taste sweet. So even the best of things may appear to be the worst. That's because of a distortion in the person's perception, a distortion and corruption of the person's mind and their own heart and character. So the good will recognize the good and love them. The pious, the piety in a person and the purity in a person will recognise the purity and the piety in someone else. In fact, forget the heart, even the mind. There's that saying in English, it takes genius to recognise talent. Mediocrity never sees beyond itself. We have a tendency to view others as we see ourselves. And I've often related that story about the uh, pious person returning from Fajr. It may just be an example, Allahu alam, if it's actually a true story, but it's related. But it illustrates the example perfectly. There was a man who would go to salah in the masjid for Fajr with jama'ah. And having completed his Salah, he would remain in the masjid for a long time, engaged in the dhikr of Allah. And then after some time, after sunrise, he would pray further nafl such as ishraq, which is also known as Salatul duha And then he would return home. On the way home, he would always cross paths with someone who, unknown to him, was a party-goer, a reveller, someone who had spent the entire night partying, revelling, drinking, in a den of vice. And he was a Muslim too. And this is obviously to do with a Muslim country. So the person returning from Fajr would look at the other person and immediately think of himself, think, MashaAllah, just as I am returning from a masjid, having engaged in the ibadah of Allah, he is also returning from a place of worship, having engaged, from a masjid, having engaged in the prayer and in the remembrance of Allah. And the sinful one, he would look at this pious individual and immediately think, there goes another one, just like me. Just like I've spent the night in a den of vice, in a sinful state, so he does the same, just as I'm returning home now, he's returning home, having spent the night just as I had. So we have a tendency to view others as we see ourselves. If we are corrupt, we see others as corrupt. So, to understand this hadith, that when Allah loves a person, Allah creates love of that person. Sayyaj'anu lahumur rahman wudda, the gracious one, will create love for them. Allah will actually place love for those whom He loves in the hearts of His creation. But not universally, not in every single heart. Even the Messenger وسلم, is not universally loved, but in the hearts of those whose characters reflect purity, piety, and clarity, whose characters, minds, and hearts aren't corrupted, their perceptions aren't distorted, who recognize good for good, who recognize purity as purity, piety as piety, and whose thinking is not flipped, whose emotions are not messed up and turbulent, So they, of purity and piety themselves, will recognize the purity and piety in others and love them. They will be endeared to them. They will be inclined to them. In Arabic, there's always been a very famous saying, like inclines to like. We tend to coalesce around those very same people. We tend to mix and mingle and be inclined to those people who reflect something in our character. Who reflect something in us. And then, by adopting that company, we only consolidate what's already in us, therefore creating further momentum. So we feed off each other. Otherwise, someone of purity and piety will fear impiety and impurity. So as I was saying earlier, the history of spirituality in Islam has always, and this may be surprising to some, has contained the concept of love. True love. This is why those ulama of Islam throughout history who've actually composed lengthy poems on love, who've written entire books on love. And some of their works have been partially translated today. And they are often studied by those who don't believe in Allah and His Messenger wasallam. And they take away whatever message they wish to. But the common misunderstanding is that these ulama who wrote about love, they are speaking about normal, everyday, worldly, mundane love. But they are not. They, being ulama of spirituality, they speak about the highest love. The love of Allah for his creation and the love of creation for Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, their creator. But people reduce that whole concept of love to meaningless, mundane love of the world. And the truth is that we all love and want to be loved. And we seek that love, we seek it in items, in things, in possessions, and in people. But it's not because of the person, rather it's because of a lack and an incompleteness and an emptiness in ourselves. That's the truth. So, we want to feel whole. And that's why when a man and woman come together, they love to repeat two parts of a whole. And we have even translated that into the concept of love and marriage in Islam. Whereas it has no basis. I'm not saying there is no love in Islam, of course there is. But one has to have a correct understanding of love. And the different shades of love, the spectrum of love. And what do I mean by, this has no basis in Islam and this is a common misunderstanding? People think that, even about marriage... that I want to complete my faith. And therefore, when I get married, my faith will be complete. And that that phrase is used so often. But that's actually a misunderstanding of the hadith. There is no such understanding in Islam that if you marry, you actually complete your faith. And without marrying, you remain half a believer. Again, this is to do something similar to that two parts of a whole so a man a muslim man and woman think that when we get married and we come together we will both become whole two parts of a whole and not only that both our iman will be complete my iman will be complete his or her iman will be complete that has no basis the concept of iman becoming half complete or complete There is no concept of iman becoming complete by marriage. It's a gross misunderstanding. This actually stems from a complete misunderstanding of certain hadith. So let me tell you what those hadith are. One, Imam Tirmidhi and others all relate that the Prophet was asked... So, Ill Rasulullah, he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, an akthirima yudhilun nas al jannah. An naar. So, Ill Rasulullah, he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, an akthirima yudhilun nas al naar. Faqala al famu al farj. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was asked about those things which are most responsible for leading people to the fire of jannah and entering them into the fire, the literal translation of the hadith. So the Prophet said the math and the private parts. These two things are most responsible for leading people into sin and corruption. Hmm. And then he was also asked, an about those things which are most responsible for taking people into Jannah. So the Prophet said, at-taqwa wa husnul khuluq. Taqwa, God-wariness, wa husnul khuluq, and good manners, good conduct. So the two things most responsible for taking a person away from Allah are the tongue and one's private parts. And then the Prophet sallallahu separately in other ahadith explains that one who marries, then indeed he has completed half of faith. Why? When a person marries, then at least there is great hope. If the person is normal, there is great hope. That this individual, man or woman, being in the sanctified state of marriage, the holy state of matrimony, will abstain from sins. Will be distant from fornication and adultery. And so they will have preserved one half of those two things which are most responsible for leading people into the fire, which is sinning with one's private organs. Then the Prophet ﷺ actually says that since he has, by marriage, safeguarded half of his faith, let him fear Allah in the other half, meaning his tongue. So even after marriage, a person is still halfway there. And this being halfway there is only related to two things. Sins of the flesh and sins of the tongue. But hopefully a person will have safeguarded themselves from the sins of the flesh by marriage. Now let them work on purifying their tongue and safeguarding their faith from the sins of their tongue. So in Islam there is no concept of two parts of a whole, and by marriage becoming a complete believer and completing one's religion, one's theme, by marriage. There is no such concept. But going back to the question of two halves of a whole, these are the romantic and false and unrealistic ideals of Hollywood, Bollywood, Lollywood and Nollywood. They really are. of fiction. In Islam, every individual is an individual, man or woman. They come into the world alone, they travel alone, and they will enter their graves alone. They will die alone. Wallahi, if you have ever been present, I see many young people here, but some older ones as well. But if you have ever been present, With someone who is dying. And held their hand. Or even if you haven't held their hand but you are just present. With someone who is in their final moments of life. On their deathbed. Even though they are surrounded. By their loving, caring, affectionate and concerned. Children. Their own flesh and blood. By Allah, you can see how lonely a time it is for that individual, wallahi. How lonely a time it is. They could have their grandchildren, their sons and daughters, everyone present. I'm not even going to mention spouses. I am not. Just children, their own flesh and blood, their beloved sons and daughters, their beloved grandsons and granddaughters, despite being surrounded by so many people, when they are on their deathbed, they know that they are about to depart from this world and enter into another realm. Their life on earth is about to end. By Allah, you can see the loneliness on their faces. And one can just imagine the solitude, the loneliness that they would feel. So we come into the world alone, we leave the world alone, as men and women, and we travel along this path of life, along this journey of life, alone. Marriage only brings two independent individuals together in company, but there is no guarantee that they will remain together. Whether they remain together or not, they still have to complete that journey alone. And this is why Allah in the Quran says, speaking about two people who have separated and who are actually been divorced. <coughs> and now they wish to come back together again. So Allah, speaking of these two who have previously been married and now wish to come together again, Allah says, أن إن أن That there is no harm in them two. There is no harm in these two. Coming back to one another, reconciling with each other. Why? Because they love one another. Because they are devoted to one another. They are utterly enmeshed. No, Allah says there is no harm in them two, in these two, reconciling with each other and coming back to each other, in dhanna and yuqima hudood Allah. If they both think that they can establish the limits and the laws of Allah. Which means that we all have to live this life on earth according to the commandments and the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the limits that Allah has placed for us. And if two people can only come together and should only come together, If they feel, they can observe the laws and the limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the purpose. Not because they are utterly enmeshed. So, this idea of two people coming together as a whole, it's unrealistic. We remain individuals. And as I was saying, this concept of love, we we love, we want to love, we want to be loved. But why? What's the reason? What's the purpose? Often, it's not to do with the other person, rather, it's to do with an emptiness and a lack and an incompleteness and a longing in ourselves. We want that incompleteness to be complete, to be removed. We want that lack to be removed. We want to feel whole. And the truth is, we're looking for it in the wrong places. And this is why two people come together. They claim to love one another. And yet, there is so much suspicion, bitterness, anger. Constant arguing, bickering, fighting, even hate. And the remarkable thing is that they claim to love one another for such a long time, and then after disappointments and after distance, there is hate. So where's the love gone now? There is real hate and bitterness. Simple reason. That that lack wasn't removed. That incompleteness did not come to an end. That longing wasn't fulfilled. That emptiness was not filled. And we're looking for it in the wrong places. The only love that can fill that emptiness, that longing, The only thing that can make a person feel whole and complete is the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and love for the sake of Allah. Now, none of what I say should be misunderstood. and We shouldn't think that this means that a husband and wife cannot and should not love one another. Of course not. What I'm saying is, their love will only be true and pure if they love one another for the sake of Allah. A perfect example of that is the Prophet ﷺ and his noble wives. The Prophet ﷺ loved his wives like no man could. And the Prophet ﷺ loved Ummul Mu'minin Aisha more than any of his other wives. They knew that she knew that. The Ummah knows that. And yet, a very simple question, which even a child would be able to answer today. Yes or no? Did the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam love Umm al-Mu'mineen A'isha Or before her, Umm al-Mu'mineen Khadijah did the Prophet Sallallahu love Aisha or Khadija or any of his noble wives رضي الله عنهم أجمعين, more than he loved Allah, simple answer? No. He stood up towards the end of his life and he gave a sermon. And in that sermon he said, Indeed Allah gave a servant a choice between this life and the life of the hereafter, the Akhirah. Between this life and that which is with Allah. So the servant chose that which is with Allah. So Abu Bakr and began weeping. And some of the other Sahaba looked at him and said, the Shaykh Abgi. What is it with this old man that he weeps? Allah gave a servant a choice between what's in the world and that which is with Allah. So the servant chose that which is with Allah. What's so surprising about that? But then the Sahaba رضي الله relate that that servant was none other than the messenger of Allah. And Abu Bakr was the one who knew the most amongst us. So the Prophet was given a choice, do you wish to remain in the world or do you wish to be with Allah? Prophet chose Allah and the company of Allah over the world and all its people, including his daughter, including his grandchildren, including his immediate family, including all of his wives. And what were the words which he uttered when he departed from this world? Allah pointing to the heavens, he said, Allahumma ila rafiq al a'la, O Allah unto the Companion Most High. So, even the Messenger, وسلم, who loved his wives, who loved his children, who taught us how to love purely and dearly, even the Prophet وسلم, did not love anyone any of his children, any of his wives, more than he loved Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is true love. And when two people come together in that love, keeping the love of Allah primary, and the love of anyone and everything else secondary, then their love for one another will be pure. In fact, they will be more tolerant, more compassionate, more forgiving, One of the scholars, he gave his daughter in marriage to a pious individual. And then he said that I am content because of his piety. If my wife pleases him and he's pleased with her, then he will appreciate her and he will do shukr of Allah. He will do shukr. He will be grateful to Allah. And if for whatever reason he is displeased with my wife and she does not please him as he would like, He does not like her as much as he would want to like her. He is not pleased with her for whatever reason. And even if she is troublesome to him, then he will do sabr. So if he is happy, he will be grateful to Allah. If he is unhappy, at least the most he will, all that he will do is sabr. He won't hurt her. Even in displeasure, if someone truly loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will be compassionate and forgiving, tolerant and overlooking. For the sake of Allah. Because their focus is on Allah. Their love is reserved for Allah. It doesn't mean a person cannot love anyone else. The Prophet وسلم, loved his wives and loved his children. <coughs> in fact Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, Inna fitna, that your wealth and your children are a test. And once the Prophet وسلم, was on the minbar, and Hassan Hussein عنهما, came running towards him, dressed in beautiful clothes in the masjid, whilst he was on the minbar. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam actually paused, descended, bent over, and picked up his beautiful grandchildren. And then he said to the Sahaba عنهم, on the minbar, that indeed Allah has spoken. And as Allah has said, wa that your wealth and your children are a distraction. A fitnah, and that's what the word fitnah means. It originally means distraction. They are a fitnah, a test, a distraction. So even the Prophet graciously acknowledged that. That's the love he had for his children as well and grandchildren. But nothing. He loved the Sahaba radhiyallahu anhum. He loved Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radhiyallahu anhum. He was his best friend even before Islam. And both were noble characters. One could never imagine these two enlightened souls, even before the Prophet ﷺ had received any revelation from Allah, and even before the Prophet, even before Abu Bakr Siddiq ﷺ became a Muslim. One cannot imagine these two enlightened souls ever falling out with one another, arguing with one another, even disagreeing with one another. They were best of friends. And Abu Bakr radiallahu an gave him so much that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam felt he could not repay him in the dunya. And in the final days, he also said that of all the people, the kindest to me and the most favorable to me, in his wealth and in his family is Abu Bakr. And the Prophet said, All doors to the masjid shall be shut, except the door of Abu Bakr. Meaning, because the, the sides of the masjid, the walls, there were entrances. Some of the houses of the Sahaba عنهم, were adjacent. And they had these what they call khaucha. A khaukha, you may have seen in some other countries, it's a door, but the it's a small door, one, and the platform is actually raised. So the doorstep is raised considerably. So it's like a small opening or a small window. And you open the door, you... hunch, and then you go through and you have to lift your legs quite high. That's what you call a khawkhah. So some of the Sahaba had these around the masjid that would lead in and out of their homes. And they would open this khawkhah and come straight into the masjid. So the Prophet said, every khawkhah, every door must be shut, except the door of Abu Bakr. Only his could remain open. He had that privilege. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, وَلَوْ خَلِيلًا أَبَا بَكْرٍ خَلِيلًا If I was to take a khalil, now khalil, it's often translated as friend or best friend, but it's not restricted to that. Khalil actually means someone, who is dearer and more beloved than a beloved? So, khullah in Islam and in Arabic actually holds a higher position than even muhabbah and than even love. So, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he openly declared his love for many. The Sahaba radiallahu Abu Bakr, Umar. Zayd ibn Haritha, Usama ibn Zayd, Ali radiyallahu anhu, and the other sahaba radiyallahu anhum. He openly declared his love for all of them. But, as he said here, he did not make anybody his khalil. So khullah, the state of being a khalil, a dear, beloved, friend, Even more than a beloved, even more than a Habib or a Mahbub. The Prophet said, If I was to take anyone as a Khalil, I would take Abu Bakr as a Khalil. A position far greater than even Habib or Mahbub. But he said, Rather, he is my brother and my companion. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, Indeed, Allah has taken your companion, meaning me, as his Khaleel. So the Prophet ﷺ said, that rank of the highest love, if there was anyone that he would give that, it would have been Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. The Prophet ﷺ said, No. Because that rank of the highest love of Khullah is reserved between Allah and the Messenger. And because of that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He was who He was. We love Him for the sake of Allah. So this longing, this incompleteness, this emptiness that we have in us, which we try to fill, which we try to complete, this void in us which we try to fill through possessions and other people. In fact, even in love, people want to possess. That's what they wish to do. They want to control. They want to own. They want to possess. And they feel that by clinging on to this thing, by possessing this thing, by controlling it, they will be able to fill that void in themselves. And when that person does not wish to be possessed, or resists possession, resists control, then there is mayhem, there is carnage, there is violence, there is abuse. And it doesn't have to be physical violence. It can be mental abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. And to make any marriage successful, one has to realize that you have no control. You cannot control another person. It's as simple as that. Therefore, do not try to control them. You will never be able to control another person. And even if you think that you control them, you can only control them in your presence. And because... They can sense your desire and your craving for control. They will try to free themselves from you as much as possible. They will resist that control. And they will try to distance, free themselves and distance themselves as much as possible. And the further they are away from you, the more absent they are from you, you have no control whatsoever. None. So you can never control another person. And one of the reasons we wish to control them is because of this possession. Because we wish to force them to love us. Why do we want their love? Not because of anything in themselves. If it was something in them, our love would be everlasting and enduring. And it would be overwhelming and overriding. It would. And you wouldn't switch from love to hate and hate to love. We wouldn't see this fluctuation and this oscillating from one state to the other we just wouldn't see it. We wouldn't see all these fluctuations and this mental and emotional drama and turmoil. If love was genuine, if it was sincere, if it was pure, why the pain? Love cannot bring with it pain. But this, these relationships in which we think there is love, these are love-hate relationships. And it's all to do with the nafs with the individual because all they are trying to do is fill that void, fill that gap, fill that emptiness. And they try to do it by force. They find something, they think that this thing, this possession, or this individual that will, I will make my possession, will fill that void and emptiness. And that's all we are trying to do. We are selfish even in that love we want to use them to exploit them to fill that void. And when we see them resisting, when we feel them resisting or failing in filling that void, and ultimately they will fail. They will fail because we will be disappointed. We will see them as failures. Because that longing, that craving, that emptiness and void in us, they and a world full of them cannot fill that emptiness. That emptiness, that incompleteness, that lack, that void, can only be filled by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's all, the only person who can fill it is Allah And that's when a person tastes the halawa, the sweetness of Iman. And it's rather surprising We wish to control them, but we also become slaves to them. Love is about slavery. When a person loves something or someone, they become slaves to it. They become slaves to that thing, to that concept, to that possession, to that person, to that being. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demands, and he has a right to demand, that you are not to be slaves to anyone but him." And this is why the Anbiya والسلام, the highest rank they ever achieved was of عبودية, of being a servant and a slave to Allah. The angels are ibad to Allah. The Anbiya and Rasul والسلام, were ibad to Allah. The Prophet وسلم, was an abd to Allah, and he would always say, Muhammadun abdullahi wa rasooluh, the slave of Allah, and, Allah's, and his messenger. And he would place his being a slave before his being a messenger. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنَ النَّاسَ مَن يَتَّخِذُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ آمُنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبَّا لِلَّهِ They are of the people. Those who take equals besides Allah. They love them as they should have loved Allah. And those who believe لله, they are more intense in their love for Allah. That's true love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, the ulama have said, because of this verse and other uh, other indications of the Qur'an and the hadith, that when a person loves something or someone more than they love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's actually a form of shirk, it's a form of idolatry. Because love is about slavery. When you love something, as they say, love is blind, and a person becomes a slave to that possession, to that idea, to that concept, to that dream, to that pursuit, or even to that person. And it's strange because they only become a slave to something for a selfish reason because they think they will get something out of it. So even their love is selfish, even their slavery is selfish, but that slavery leads them to behave stupidly, lowly. Why should a person lower themselves, reduce themselves, belittle themselves, degrade themselves for any other human being or for any other thing other than the one being before whom, for whom, to whom? they should lower and humble and submit themselves. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So love is about slavery in itself. And the highest rank of love for Allah, with Allah, is Ubudiyah. The Anbiya alayhumus were the servants of Allah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was a slave of Allah. And that's the rank that Allah bestowed upon him. So when a person loves something or someone besides Allah, as they should have loved Allah, that is a form of idolatry. Because they've they've enslaved themselves to that thing or to that person. And Allah as Allah says there are of the people those who love Allah, sorry, who take equals besides Allah and Dad. So they actually place them on an equal footing with Allah. There are two words in Arabic, nid and did. Nid means equal, did means rival. And the plural of Nid is andad, the plural of did is adad. So andad means equals, Adad means rivals. So when a person loves something and becomes a slave to that love, it could be an idea, it could be A pursuit, it could be a pastime, it could be a hobby, an activity, it could be a thing, a possession, or a person. And they love that more than they love Allah, it's a form of idolatry. Because shirk, ultimately, is partnership, is making someone a partner with someone else. That's the meaning of shirk. So if you place someone in the rank of Allah, or even higher than Allah, you make them an equal of Allah in your devotion, in your love, then you are committing shirk. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those who believe, they are more intense in their love for Allah. Which means that as slavish, as enslaved, as dutiful, and as submissive, And as loving a person could ever become for anyone else, those who have true love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their love outshines, their love for Allah outshines any love that anyone can have for anyone or anything else. (coughs) In fact, no one, unless they have experienced that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, would ever be able to experience true love. And the Anbiya alayhumu salatu wa had that. The Sahaba radiyaAllahu anhum had that. And that's why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa speaks about halawutul iman, the sweetness of iman. Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, both relate and so do others. From Anas ibn Malik radiyaAllahu an, who says the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, thalathun man kunna fee, there are three things if found in a person, wajadabihinna halawutul iman, they shall... They shall find the sweetness of Iman through these three things. What's the first thing? Allahu A person to whom Allah and His Messenger وسلم, are more beloved than everyone else. First is Allah. One has to love Allah more than anyone else. There's that connection. We love our mothers. Because we feel that physical connection with them, that bond. We are of their flesh and blood. We remained inside them. They brought us into the world. There was that bonding in early childhood, in infancy. They breastfed us. There's that enduring and lasting attachment. And yet remarkably, remarkably, mothers and daughters for that. They do, and to what degree some mothers kill their own children? Once the child grows up, mother and daughter, even mother and daughter, they see one another as adults. The mother sees the daughter as an adult. And an adult can be a threat. And the mother may even use and exploit the adult's daughter to further her own ends. How often do we see, and this is a fact, that a mother or a father, but I I give the mother's example because her love is more intense than the love of a father, and that's universally recognised because of that physical bond in infancy and in childbirth and in pregnancy. How often do we see that a mother has young children, girls and boys, And the mother has now become separated, divorced or detached from the father of the children. She's looking for love or for marriage. And she finds someone. And that individual actually stipulates that for us to be together, you have to abandon your children. I don't want anything to do with them. How many times have we seen and have we heard and do we know of people personally? At the flip of a coin, who a stranger comes along and demands that the mother abandons her children or distances herself from them, or at least does not burden the father or, or this new individual with the children, the mother is willing to accede to his demands and to give him. And she may go and dump the children with the grandparents, with the uncles and aunts, even in homes. And sometimes we've heard of countless cases, especially in the media, where the the child or the children may be kept in the family, but because the stepfather wishes to go off on a holiday, even if it's for a few days, the mother actually abandons abandons the children at home without any care or supervision, leaves them young children, infants, to fend for themselves while she is gallivanting and holidaying with her newfound partner. Where is the love of the mother gone then? So remarkably, despite that physical bond and that love of a mother for the children, which is unique, even in the animal kingdom, where is that love gone? It shows that as adults, as humans, we can be extremely selfish to that degree that we will even abuse and exploit our own children and abandon them to seek fulfilment ourselves. And if it was genuine love, how could we claim to love a stranger to that degree that we would be willing to sacrifice our own children? That is no love for the children, that is no love for this newcomer, that is no love for anyone else. All it is is a love for the oneself, for the nafs. It's a love for the nafs. And that's why Allah says in the Qur'an, أَفَرَأَيْتَ مَنِ اتَّخَذَ إِلَاهَهُ هَوَاهُ وَأَضَلَّهُ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ عِلْمُ وَخَطْمَ عَلَىٰ سَمْعِهِ وَقَلْبِهِ وَجَعَلَ عَلَىٰ بَصَرِهِ غِشَاوَةٍ فَمَنْ يَهْدِيهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ Allah says have you seen one who takes his nafs as his god and Allah misleads him despite his knowledge and understanding and Allah places a seal on the person's hearing and heart and a barrier over a person's a veil before their eyes so who will guide him after Allah do you not take heed This is it, when a person makes one's nafs their God, they can only have one God. Allah says in Surah Al-Ahzab, that Allah has not created two hearts for any man in one bosom, in his bosom. Allah has not created two hearts. You can only have one God. You can only have one supreme deity. You can only have one person, whom you, one being, whom you worship, and that is Allah. And if it's not Allah, then it'll be an idol, an idea, a concept, a person, or ultimately just one's nafs. Just like the Arabs, it was said of them that the Arabs would worship a rock, and then afterwards they would develop a disliking for that one rock so they would choose another rock and worship that. And this is what we do. In fact, um, in Urdu, in Urdu, not just in Urdu, in Hindi, in Urdu, in the Asian languages, do you know what a beloved is called? Sanam. Sanam. You, S-A-N-A-M. you must have heard of that. It's a famous word, Sunnah. So, a beloved is called Sanam. And that word is actually from Arabic. And Sanam, plural Islam, means an idol. It means an idol. And of an interesting note, in the same Asian languages, do you know what a name for a husband is? Khasm. Well, they call it khasm So a beloved is a sonam, and the hu- husband is khasm And that's a mispronunciation of khasm, meaning, it's the same word, but in Asian languages, it's difficult to pronounce the sukoon. So that's why instead of saying fajr, we say fajr. Instead of saying asr, we say asr so it's as-fajr. Instead of saying witr, we say witter. It's just a mispronunciation. The Arabs were very clear in their language. It's a, so khasam is a mispronunciation of khasm. And that's what they call a husband. And again, it's been imported from Arabic. And you know what khasm means? An opponent. So wallahi, the distortion of love and the concept of love in our Bollywood. This is it. The husband is called khasm, which means opponent, and the beloved is called sanam, which means an idol. The love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be supreme, and as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, says in the hadith, there are three things which are found in a person. <coughs> They shall taste the sweetness of Iman thereof. And the first thing is that Allah and His Messenger وسلم, should be more beloved than anyone else. And as I was saying a moment earlier, ultimately, the, f- the love of Allah is paramount, is supreme. You can only have one God. If it's not going to be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's going to be something or someone else. And that something or someone else will become an idol. Just like in Urdu and Asian, in Hindi and Asian languages, the word for the beloved is sanam, which means an idol. And that's exactly what it is. A person worships the sanam. Worships the idol as they should have worshipped Allah. They love the idol as they should have loved Allah. They become enslaved to the idol as they should only have become enslaved to Allah Taala. And ultimately, it's a very strange cycle. Because it's not that person that they are really seeking, that they are worshipping. It's their own nafs. But because they think they can find what, what they want, the gratification of their soul, the fulfillment of that emptiness, the answer to their longing and their seeking, and the desire of the nafs, because they think they will find it in that person, that's where their devotions are, for the time being. But within a short while, they feel that this person is disappointing, is a failure, and they will fail. They will fail, so they are removed, and all that attachment and devotion is then given to something or someone else, and the 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 previous one is discarded and disposed of, because that was never the goal. That was never the objective. It's always to do with the nafs. So one can only have one god, and that god is either one's nafs. Or oh, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If it's Allah, then that person will find peace and contentment and solace and settlement. They will find settlement. A few weeks ago I spoke about tumanina. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ala bi Know that in the remembrance of Allah, hearts do find tumanina, which means settlement. Allah says that whoever, man or woman, does good whilst being a believer, then we shall give them a beautiful life. And we often think, people read these two verses and they think that we are doing everything. Where is that peace of heart? peace of mind, contentment of the soul. Where's that serenity and tranquility? That happiness and joy that I'm seeking. Allah promises, Allah says, know that in the remembrance of Allah do hearts find, the common translation is peace. And then Allah also says, whoever does good, man or woman, whilst being a believer, we shall give him a good life. So where's that good life? Where's that peace of mind that Allah promises? I do good, I pray, I fast, I give in charity, I go for pilgrimage, I am fully observant, I, I remember Allah, I do much dhikr. But that peace of mind, contentment of the heart, it eludes me, it's evasive. Why? Because we're looking for it in the wrong things. We think joy and happiness, again, comes from possessions. We think a good life means a good income, a good career, a good home, and beautiful possessions, and enjoyment on earth. Never. These things are all peripheral. They're material. Even the dhikr of Allah will not give you the kind of peace that you seek. Because you need to know what you want first. You need to know what you want. You say you're looking for peace, you need to understand what peace is. You're looking for contentment, you need to understand what contentment is. You're looking for tranquility and serenity and solace and comfort. You need to know what all of these things are. You're looking for bliss and joy and happiness. You need to know what they are before you can recognize them. Some of us wouldn't be able to recognize peace even if it was before us. We won't be able to recognize it even if it comes to us. So what is that peace, what is that tranquility, what is that serenity, what is that comfort that Allah promises, that happiness and that joy? That's in Allah, with Allah. Rasulullah had that, regardless of the lack of material possessions. And do you know what that tranquility and serenity is? It's طمانينة. Allah doesn't promise peace as we think. Allah promises طمانينة. Ala بِذِكْرِ Know that in the remembrance of Allah, two hearts find itminan and tumanina. As I explained a few weeks ago, what's itminan and what's tumanina. It means settlement. So the heart no longer remains disturbed. Perturbed. Agitated. It's settled. And strangely enough, the word emotion in the English language, is from Latin, And the word emotion, from its original Latin word, means disturbance. So the word emotion itself means disturbance. So, tumanina in Arabic means settlement. That means your emotions aren't all over the place. You don't feel that trembling, that agitation, that sense of remaining perturbed, that disturbance. You don't feel any of that. You remain settled in heart and mind, regardless of what's happening around you and in you. That's the promise that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes. One can only find that in the love of Allah, in Allah. One has to love Allah and his messenger, sallam, more than anyone else. And only then will a person find that halawah, that sweetness of imam that Allah promises in the heart. The love of Allah and the love of his messenger. Imam Bukhari الله, relates from Umar ibn al-Khattab that once Prophet was with Umar عن, and he was actually holding his hand. So the Prophet was lovingly holding the hand of Umar ibn al-Khattab. So Umar عن, said to him, Ya Rasulullah, I love you more than anyone else after my soul so after myself i love you more than anyone else so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said o oh umar one of you cannot become a true believer until he loves me even more than he loves himself so the prophet umar radiyallahu anhu said ya rasulullah i love you more than myself so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to him al ya umar now o oh and Anas ibn malik عنه, relates in a hadith called بَمَا مُخَارِ مَا مُسْلِمَا أَذَرَزْ لَا يُؤْمِنُ أَحِذُكُمْ حَتَّى أَكُونَ أحب إِلَيْهِمِ وَالَدِهِ وَوَلَدِهِ وَالنَّاسِ أَجْمَعِينَ One of you cannot become a true believer, they cannot truly believe, until I am more beloved to him than his parents, his children, all of the people. And the Sahaba radiyaAllahu anhu had that love. They truly loved him more than they loved their children, more than they loved themselves. Why? Because their love for him was itself a result of the love of Allah. I was saying earlier, we love our mothers. What's the reason for that love of our mothers? Even though that love can change and suffer. It's because of that bond and that they are ultimately responsible for bringing us into the world. Then imagine what should be our love because Allah created us. He is the cause and the reason and the sole reason for our existence. And that bond with Allah is far greater than the bond of a child with its mother. Because he breathed into Adam السلام, our father of his spirit. So the spirit that resides within us. That comes from Adam alayhi salam. That ruh is deeply connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that love is there. We just need to recognize it and bring it out. It truly is there. We need to bring it out. The pain that we carry in us, that pain, the only person, the only being that can remove that pain is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that pain is of longing, is of emptiness. We want other human beings to remove that pain. How can others, whether they are our husbands or others, who are full of pain themselves remove our pain? At times, this is why we have these love-hate relationships, all they do is bring out the pain in us. They don't give us pain, they bring out the pain in us. The only one who can remove that pain is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because of that deep and eternal connection that every one of us has with Allah. And even the love for Rasulullah should be and can only be for the sake of Allah, and it can only be secondary to Allah. Those who claim to love the Prophet and yet, in a way, end up loving him more than they love Allah. And in their claim of the love of the Messenger وسلم, they disobey Allah, they should really question themselves, is my love for the Messenger of Allah truly the love of the Messenger? For Allah Himself says in the Quran tahhibunallahu fittabiruni, that say, if you true, if you love Allah, then follow me. Allah will love you in return. So we claim to love Allah, we claim to love the messenger of Allah, and yet in doing so, we disobey Allah and we disobey his messenger. Is that genuine love? And how can we claim to love the messenger of Allah more than we love Allah? That's impossible. That love, then, is not the love of the messenger of Allah, it's the love of our nafs. And we're actually making the messenger of Allah an excuse for our own love. We wish to party. We wish to commit sins. We wish to gratify ourselves. We wish to fulfill our own lowly desires. We wish to entertain ourselves and enjoy ourselves. And we actually justify that reveling, that partying, that enjoyment, that entertainment by claiming that we are doing this out of love for the Messenger of Allah when he would have been the first to disapprove of it and I'm not saying that in a speculative manner when he has already disapproved of it. When we disobey Allah brazenly and openly in the name of the love of the Messenger of Allah when both Allah and His Messenger وسلم, condemn those very things that we do in the name of the love of the Messenger of Allah, how can we say that's a love of Allah and His Messenger wasallam? That is the love of ourselves, the love of our nafs. And it's an insult to say that that is out of the love of the Messenger of Allah Sahaba عنه, loved Allah and His Messenger وسلم, and they loved Him because of their love for Allah. When a person truly loves Allah, they will love one another accordingly as well. Their love for each other will be pure. And that's why the second thing mentioned in the hadith is the first one, through which he shall taste the sweetness of Iman, that Allah and His Messenger will be delivered to him than everyone else. And the second thing, and that he loves a person, he loves them only for the sake of Allah. To love for the sake of Allah is also another character of a believer. I'll end with one hadith. It's a vast topic, but. and so much can be said, but I'll end with this. If we truly, true love, pure love, is only for this is only for Allah, for the sake of Allah. And out of that love for Allah, that pure and true love for Allah, love for all other things stems. The love of those things that Allah likes. The love of those people that Allah loves. And primarily amongst them, Rasulullah and the Prophets of Allah, the love of the Sahaba radiallahu prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that Imam Tirmidhi Rahmatullah and others relate that he said Allah Allah fi ashab la tatakhithuhum maghradan ba'di faman ahabbahum fa bihubbi uhibbu faman abghadhahum fa bi bughdi abghadhahum wa man aadhahum faqad aadhan ni wa man aadhani faqad aadha wa man aadha Allah yashku an ya'khudah he said Fear Allah, fear Allah in my companions. Do not make them a target, i.e. of your criticism and your enmity after me. Because whoever loves them, loves them because of his love for me. And whoever dislikes them and hates them, he hates them because of his hatred for me. And whoever hurts them, then he has hurt me. And whoever hurts me, he has hurt Allah. And whoever hurts Allah, Allah will seize him. So our love for the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum is because of the love of the Messenger. And our love of the Messenger وسلم, is ultimately because of the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So from the love of Allah stems all love. Genuine, true, pure love. And that means love for other people. Just as Allah said, and this was with the verse I began, this is the verse I began with in the beginning, in the آمَنُوا Indeed, those who believe and who do good deeds, Allah will, Rahman, the Gracious One, will create love for them. Allah will create love for the messenger, for his beloved people, his beloved servants, in the hearts of his beloved servants. And I'll end with this one hadith. That means when we, love for what, when we love one another, including strangers, when we love each other as brothers, as sisters, i.e. in faith, we love other people. We do it out of purity, because that is the love that Allah places in our hearts. But all of that love is secondary and subservient to the love of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala because it stems from that love. Abu Idris al-Khawlani, Imam Malik rahmatullah, actually relates to this hadith, that, and so to Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal and others, that Abu Idris al-Khawlani, Rahimahullah, a famous scholar and saint amongst the compa- uh, amongst the Tabi'een, and I spoke about him briefly when I commented on the hadith of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiyallahu the famous hadith Qudsi, al-hadith qudsi uh, about the first, the last, the men and the jinn. The one who relates that hadith from Abu Dar al-Ghifari radiyallahu is the same Abu Idris al-Khawlani, rahimahullah. So Abu Idris al-Khawlani says that I entered the Masjid of Damascus, and I saw a large group of people seated around a young man who was extremely handsome of face, and who had bright teeth, shining teeth, and who was full of composure. And they sat around him, and whenever they would discuss, they would refer to him. Whenever they had a question, they would ask him, وَصَدَرُوا عَنْ رَأْيِهِ And they would, and I've explained this phrase, they would return quenched of their thirst with his answer and opinion. So I asked someone, who is that young man? So they said, that is Mu'adh ibn Jibal, the companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam." So he said, the next day, I went to the Masjid of Damascus extremely early. I went early. When I went there, I already found Mu'adh ibn Jibal there praying salah before me. So I waited for him to finish. And then when he finished, I went in front of him and I approached him from in front. And I sat down. Obviously this was done out of humility before him. And I said to him, I love you for the sake of Allah. So Mu'adh ibn Jabal said to him, truly only for the sake of Allah. So I said, only for the sake of Allah. He said, said, truly only for the sake of Allah. I said, truly only for the sake of Allah. He said, Truly, only for the sake of Allah, I said, Truly and only for the sake of Allah. Then Mu'adh ibn radiyallahu grabbed him by, by his clothes, his cloak, and he pulled him towards him. And then he said, In that case, Abshir, receive the glad tidings. For inni sumir, for indeed I have heard Allah's Messenger say that Allah the Almighty says, Wajabat Mahabbati. لِلْمُتَحَابِينَ فيه وَالْمُتَجَالِسِينَ فيه وَالْمُتَزَاوِرِينَ فيه وَالْمُتَبَادِلِينَ فيه. That Allah says, My love, my muhabba, becomes obligatory and binding for those who love one another for my sake. Who sits with one another for my sake. Who visit one another for my sake. And who make sacrifices for each other for my sake. And that's how the Sahaba رضي الله عنهم loved one. Another. Because the selfishness was removed. That selfishness, that longing, that worshipping of one's own soul, that seeking the fulfilment of one's own desires, all of that is removed. So any love which stems and emanates from that selfless heart and it can only do so for the sake of Allah, for the love of Allah, it will be pure and selfless. And imagine If the true servants of Allah can love strangers with such purity because of their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, imagine how deep, profound, and pure, and selfless their love will be for their spouses, for their loved ones, for their husbands, for their wives, for their parents, for their children, for their siblings, because it will be pure love, it won't be love rising from a selfish, corrupt heart. And nafs, it will be a love that emanates from a pure and selfless heart. Why? Because ultimately, it stems from the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. That is pure and true love. I end with this. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he should be loved, who love what Allah loves, and who love one another out of the love of Allah, Abdihi, Muhammad, wa